0: Max Dupree, author of many books on leadership, was once asked what the most difficult thing was that he personally had to work on. This was Max's response. It's the interception of entropy. This word entropy, it's a term from physics that has something to do with the second law of thermodynamics and the availability of energy. It speaks to the fact that the universe is winding down. It's the idea that everything that is left to itself has a tendency to deteriorate. For example, take a brand new Toyota Tundra pickup, place it in the middle of a field, and just let it sit there for 25 years. When you come back 25 years later, though you didn't drive it a single mile, it won't run, and it'll look like an old car. Dirty, Cracked windshield, the interior is faded and falling apart. Why? Entropy. Left to itself over time, that truck, that new truck would eventually deteriorate. Entropy, it's not only one of the great enemies of the universe. It can also cause faith to gradually decline into doubt. With Christ, we receive new life. And if we fail to regularly practice our faith, When we fail to regularly grow our faith, entropy begins to take over and weaken faith until a mindset of doubt sets in. This idea of entropy as it relates to our faith, it raises some good questions for us to consider. Here's one question. If faith is not being practiced, how is anyone to know that that faith is real? If there are no signs of growth or fruit of faith, how are we to know that faith is alive? Here's the point. Many people do not necessarily lose their faith, but instead they stop using their faith. We have a biblical example of this happening in a church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what the text says. To the church of Sardis in Asia Minor, Jesus says, though you have a name, though you have a reputation for being alive, you are dead. Wake up, put some strength into what is life, which must must otherwise die. The state of the church's faith was a reflection of the great city of Sardis. Uh, The city was a fortified city that was built on a high land of solid rock. And the appearance of the city looked solid. On that hill, that strong hill, it looked as if it was impossible to be, to be defeated by an enemy army. But twice, twice in its long history, this strong city had fallen. But Sardes lost the battle, not because the opposing army had a better strategy, not because the opposing ar- army had mo- a more powerful army, but because the city of Sardes was so overconfident that no one within the city had a plan to defend the city. No watchman was ever in the tower to look to see if an enemy was coming. And that is how the Christians were in the church of Sardes. They were self-confident in who they were. They were self-confident in what they had done in the past that they became careless. No longer putting their faith to work, they drifted towards dead faith. What is the greatest need of a faith that becomes passive? Unused to prevent it from sliding into doubt. Here it is, faith needs to be challenged. One of the best ways to challenge our faith is by studying the Bible. Not just reading it, but studying it well. If your main intake of scripture is the sermon you hear on Sunday, that is like saying you want to lose weight and lower your blood pressure, but you only exercise one day a week. You won't reach your goal. It won't happen. Faith needs to exercise itself regularly in the word of God. Now, trust me, I know how hard it is to study God's word. Often I will come to a text to prepare a sermon, and and the text seems so foreign. I can read the words, but I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. I can read the words, and I'm not exactly sure where it goes from here. It is then that I must wrestle with the biblical text by using good commentaries and books and Bible dictionaries and concordances. You see, Scripture Scripture wasn't written to give us quick scripted answers to life's problems. Like a relationship with a spouse, a child, or dear friend, we have to wrestle. We have to weep. We have to struggle, uh, laugh, cry, think. We have to invest ourselves with the biblical text. Eugene Peterson, in his book entitled Eat This Book, wrote this. Reading is an immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated it means to be taken into the soul. It means to be eaten, to chewed, gnawed, received in unhurried delight. You see, when we study the Bible, we deepen our relationship with God through the Bible and we're gradually brought closer to Jesus. Again, we see this happen in Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus appeared to his doubt-filled disciples on the Emmaus Road. Their hearts were heavy because their Messiah had been tortured and crucified on a Roman cross. And this was not the ending they anticipated with Jesus. Their leader was gone. Their hope for a new world extinguished. But it was there on that dusty road that Jesus met them. Well, as they walked, he talked by their side. And somehow they didn't recognize him. They had assumptions about how the how the world worked, and resurrection wasn't part of it. They walked, talked, discussed. And then Jesus opened the scriptures and told them how all of scripture spoke of him, spoke of Jesus, all of scripture. And then here's what Luke 24 then tells us in verse 32. At that moment, Their hearts burned within them. Their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. See, the Bible is all about Jesus. So when we read it, we're not just reading a book of history or prophecy. We're encountering Jesus who is with us now. Jesus is on every page. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the fulfillment. But not only this, Jesus himself, was passionate about God's Word. He read the Bible, studied the Bible, memorized the Bible. In fact, I love how how Philip Yancey puts it. He says, the Bible that you hold is the Bible Jesus read. He traced in its passages every important fact about himself and his mission. In this book, these are the prayers Jesus prayed. The poems he memorized, the songs he sang, the bedtime stories he heard as a child, the prophecies he pondered. That's rich. You see, when we study God's word, one of two things will happen. Here's option one. We will live life under the word of God. You see, this is the way of discipleship where all we are and all we do is evaluated and judged by the word of God. To be under the word of God is to practice the teachings of God's word. God's word is the foundation of faith, but it becomes active. It becomes alive. It is strengthened when we obey what we understand in God's word. A vibrant faith is an obedient faith. So option one is to live under God's word. Now, here's option two live with the word of God under us. Instead of actively challenging ourselves to live in conformity to God's word, to live with God's word under us is to be lazy. It's to use God's word to simply justify our personal preferences, our personal opinions. You see, God's word under us seeks to make God conform to our point of view. Such a person prefers to talk about scripture and not allow scripture to bear fruit in their lives. Let me give you an example. Uh, In Paul Bunyan's Christian classic, Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan depicts such a person in one of his characters named Mr. Talkative. The main character of the story is known as Christian and his close friend's name is Faithful. Well, they meet a man by the name of Mr. Talkative. Christian knows this man's reputation, so he explains to his friend Faithful, I've heard of Mr. Talkative, and that faith has no place in his heart. Faith has no place in his house. Faith has no place in his conduct. Religion is simply something to be talked about. He talks of prayer. He talks of repentance. talks of faith and of the new birth, but he only knows how to talk about them. You see, Christian sees through Mr. Talkative. And so he warns his friend faithful with these words. Mr. Talkative thinks that merely hearing and talking about Christian topics will make a good Christian. And thus he deceives his own soul. Hearing is simply the sowing of the seed. Talking is not sufficient to prove that fruit is indeed in the heart and in life. We are sure that at the last day, men shall be judged according to their fruits. It will not be said of them, did you believe? But they will be asked, were you doers or were you talkers only? All will be judged accordingly. The end of the world is compared to our harvest. And you know, men at harvest want nothing but fruit. What insightful words. If we're honest with ourselves, there's a Mr. Talkative in all of us. It's easy to confess that we believe and talk about Christianity. But the real test of our faith is determined by if we are doers. Are we doers of the word? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus closes it out with a warning against an empty profession of faith, making it clear that the only faith that counts is faith that obeys. In fact, listen to the words of Matthew chapter 7, 18 to 27. Faith that counts is faith that obeys. In Mark 3, 33 to 35, Jesus asks a question which on the surface appears to be about his family tree. He asks this, who? Who? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And the text says, and looking around at those who were sitting in the circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now catch this. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. Church, the best way to protect your faith from doubt is for faith to practice obedience to God's word. Faith that counts is faith that obeys.